Join me in opening your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews. So there towards the end of the New Testament in chapter 12, chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews. I think the fan blew my page. I'm going to read that and then pray and then it's going to be a little different this morning. So Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 the writer says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us this morning. I thank you for your grace. Uh, Lord, as I heard the old prayer prayed uh, th this last week, if, if there's something that we don't know, God, teach it to us. If there's something we don't have that would be beneficial, Lord God, give it to us. Lord, and if there's something that we are not, that we yet need to be, Lord, make us be that. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, a little bit different today. I have a little history. Have a little, little talk of music. A little poetry. And of course, Scripture. So the, the history and the music that I want to talk to you about for just a moment today. And again, it's going to be a little bit different. So just hang in there with me. If you don't like it, it won't be like this next week probably. If you do like it, well, we'll see. So everybody knows what our national anthem is, right? It's the Star Spangled Banner. We play it when? Most of the time now, you know, official events and or ball games. Ball games, we love the national anthem. We play it all the time. There, I remember high school football, boy, you're standing there, you're holding your helmet. Some, you know, girl that you go to school with is singing the national anthem over the PA system. And it's just like, I feel like I'm ready to shed a tear and, and punch somebody in the face all at the same time. It's like the, the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner just seems to just get you like that. But I, I did a little bit of a, a looking into our national anthem to the Star Spangled Banner. A little bit interesting story there. And I, I want to share that with you. It, it, what we know as the Star Spangled Banner became our official national anthem. Because that's not the name. It is our national anthem. It's called the Star Spangled Banner. Like the state bird is the mockingbird. But we don't say, hey, look, there's a state bird. That's a mockingbird. Okay. So Star Spangled Banner became the official national anthem in 1931. Official act by Congress and President Hoover. But it was written 100 plus years before that by a man named Francis Scott Key. Right? Y'all heard of Francis Scott Key? He was 35 years old and he was an attorney in 1814 is when he wrote the poem that would later become the Star Spangled Banner. And young Mr. Key had been sent by President James Madison to do a negotiation with the British about a prisoner exchange. They were trying to get a prisoner named William Beans 
maybe Bennis, but I'm going to call him Beans. William Beans released from the custody of the British soldiers. He had been captured because they thought that he was reporting on British soldiers and turning them in and getting them arrested. He was a doctor there in America, so they had him captive. And they're like, we really need our doctor back in this little place over here. He's a really upstanding guy. Everybody liked him. So like, look, go see if you can negotiate with them to release Mr. Beans, Dr. Beans. He didn't go to school for me to call him Mr. Go see if you can negotiate the release of him from the British, because you see we were at war with the British again in what we call the War of 1812. Yep, the same British, we're at war with them again in 1812. And they had attacked Washington, D.C. They had burned down the White House. And it's after this, or at this time, that Mr. Francis Scott Key, who maybe they called him Frank, we'll call him Frank, him and his friend, Mr. Skinner, went to visit with the British about the release of Dr. Beans. And so they went out on a ship under a flag of truce out to where the British Armada was to voice this message from the president about the release of Dr. Beans, right? So they got to meet with a British general and vice admiral on one of the ships and had supper with them. And during this supper, they said, hey, you know, we really want you to release Dr. Beans. He's really not that bad. Look, we got some letters here. We'll show you he's not that bad. And they were like, yeah, okay, you're probably right. We'll release him. We all release these guys. We'll do that. And they're like, hey, this worked out great. And then the rest of the supper, the British guys are talking strategy, right? Because we're in the middle of a war. It's an interesting time. We're in the middle of a war. They're talking strategy. What they were going to be working on was coming in to Baltimore Harbor, right? They just burned down the White House, Washington, D.C. They're all in there. They're trying to come in Baltimore Harbor, defeat Fort McHenry, which is right there at the front of Baltimore Harbor. Like we got Fort Lookout out there. The reason Fort Lookout's called Fort Lookout, there was a fort right there on the river. Keep people from coming in. We got a fort in Baltimore Harbor called Fort McHenry. And they're like, we're going to take down Fort McHenry so that we can come through there and then we can just own this whole area. And now Frank and Mr. Skinner, they're, here sit, they're hearing all this. And so the, obviously they tell them, all right, look, guys, we're going to let you go. We're going to let Dr. Beans go because y'all came here under a flag of truce. But you're going to have to stay here with us until this fight's over because we're not going to have you going back and telling them what we're doing. Right. So they were kind of smart. And so he's out there on this British ship, Frank, Mr. Skinner, his friend, are out there on this British ship, and then they're going, this armada is, to attack Fort McHenry, where all our guys are. All the American soldiers are defending our country. And they commence to shooting mortars at Fort McHenry, bombing it from the sea. Now, they had a little bit more firepower, so they were able to stay far enough back where we couldn't reach them with our cannons from the fort, but they're just pelting them from out there in the harbor. Pelting them. And then, let me tell you what they did. Sneaky little snakes, here's what they did. They're bombing them from the front. Whole bunch of ships, over a dozen ships, bombing them from the front. And then they said, what we're going to do, we're going to send some little ships in around the side with some guys in it, a little landing party. We're going to try to slip past them kind of flank them, and then at worst, they're having to fight on two fronts. 
they're having to fight out here. They're trying to, you know, defend us from the sea because they don't know when we're going to rush in and we kind of slip around the side. And so they've got this going on on both sides all night long. All night long this is going on. And Frank, he's sitting there on his ship that they're holding him on, getting to watch all of it. He's watching all this from a British ship. And what he saw and how he felt while this was going on is what compelled him to write the poem that became the song, The Star Spangled Banner, which became our national anthem. So what he was watching for from out there on that ship is, is the U.S. flag still flying over Fort McHenry? Because if the U.S. flag was still flying over Fort McHenry, it meant that the fort hadn't been taken, that it was still standing, that the British hadn't won this battle. So when he wrote that first line, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Why? Because they bombed it all night long and you couldn't see very well. Why? Because it was dark. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held? We could see it like we could see it yesterday. What so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming. He's like, as the sun's coming up, is it still there? Is the flag still flying? Because the last time we saw it clearly was when it was dark. Say, can you see what? Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fights or the ramparts we watched. It's like it was up there. It was flying. I saw the broad stripes. I saw the bright stars over the ramparts of the fort. I could still see it. We watched it streaming. And then comes the big vocal part of the song, the part that most of us, our voices crack on if we're trying to sing along. Right. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Why? Because as these can't, as these mortars are firing, there's big flashes. And it's just like when lightning lights up the sky and you can see everything for just a moment like it's daytime. He's like, there's little bits of flashes through the night when all these bombs are going off. And I was he's just sitting out there watching. You got to think it's riveting to see all of this. And he's on the British ship. You know, he obviously has a dog in the fight. He's like, I really hope we win this one because I'm already over here with them. They may not let me go if we lose this one. But he's watching. And he says, the rocket's red glare, bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And then it finishes, oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Is it still flying? And then he stretches it out over the land of the free and the home of the bright. Is the flag still fly over America? Was the flag still flying over the fort? He's watching all this as the sun's coming up. They had been attacked by land and by sea. Does Fort McHenry still stand? And now look, here's something I didn't know that you may find interesting. It's a little extra part of the story. All night long, they had been flying what they called a storm flag. And what it meant was it's small. It's a smaller flag. I'm assuming it's the flag that they used if there was a storm, because if the wind was really whipping, you didn't want your, your big flag up there. So they had the storm flag up there flying. And then that morning, there was a moment when the flag went down. And I'm sure if they were paying real close attention, everybody was trying to figure out is this, what has happened. Is this the moment where we found out that the fort has been taken? But that wasn't but for just a moment, because right after that, they raised up a bigger flag. <laughs> they took down the little storm flag and then they put up the regular size flag and sent it on up. Now, I've, I've understood that that was a part of their normal morning 
Reveille, right? Like when Michaela puts the flag up at the high school, we just putting the flag up. But I also have to imagine that the boys that were responsible for that flag at the fort took a little bit of delight in taking the little flag down after being pelted all night by mortars and fighting the guys off that tried to come around the side. Taking that little flag down and, and maybe looking at each other like, hey, Chuck, you see it's morning, right? You know what we do in the morning? I'm going to go get the big flag. We're going to put the big flag up because then we're going to let them know, no, you didn't take the fort. You didn't take us down. The Star Spangled Banner does still fly over Fort McHenry. And that's what Francis Scott Key saw is that bigger flag flying over Fort McHenry, even though all through the night they had been bombed, they had been attacked. And the, the victory was so significant that the British soldiers just left. One of the guy, the guy who was overall of it for Britain's side, he got told, look, you're not, I don't want you to move in there and attack if there's more than 2,000 people there. You're not big enough, you're not bad enough to take 2,000 people on. Well, there were 1,000 people in there, but they fought with such vigor that he thought they were about twice as many as they actually were. So he left Baltimore Harbor and he went all the way to New Orleans. He's like, we're going to try somewhere else. But I just love that story. I know, like I said, this is a little bit different to start off with some American history, but it's 4th of July, right? America. 4th of July. To, to read about, he was watching, even with all this going on, his focus was on, is the flag still flying? Can I still see it? Is the standard of our country still waving over this fort or has all been lost? Now, obviously, I have a higher identity than being an American, right? I'm a Christian who is an American, not the reverse. And that's not to diminish being an American. It's to elevate Christ in our life. Like we sang this morning, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But as I was reading this story and I was preparing for today, I was like, there's a similar sentiment in this story of our Star Spangled Banner and what I'm reading in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, he starts out with therefore, which anytime we see that, what do we think of? We think, why is it therefore? What's he talking about before that? He had gone through and went down the list of, you, you call it the hall of faith or uh, the, those in the Old Testament that displayed faith in, in God, in the Messiah. He said, therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses, those that have come before us that have believed, that have followed God, look to the Messiah. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses, we're not alone in this. We've got a large crowd of people in the stands that have gone on ahead of us who have been essentially, at least in life, right where we are, that have experienced just what we've experienced. We aren't in this alone. We're part of something bigger than ourselves, right? We talked about that this morning, a couple of us, when we were visiting. It's that because of this, because you have this great cloud of witnesses that's gone ahead of you, lay aside every hindrance. That means every, we may say weight, every burden. 
Because he's using language here like running a race. He's like, so shed that extra weight and make it easier for you to move down the course that is set for you to run. Set aside every weight and hindrance, the things that would slow you down and also set aside or put off that sin that so easily ensnares us. That besets us, that we're that we're subject to fall over into. He's like, put it aside. Why? Because we're going somewhere. One of the words there is sin that so easily distracts us. That distracts us. And that word, I mean, it's it's a two part word there. Right. Distract distraction. It's the lack of that's when you put dis in front of a word. It means the lack of traction. So I've got traction. I'm moving forward. I'm on a track, but sin can distract me. It can take me off of my direction. It can take me off of my momentum. It can get me spinning my wheels or get me off of the path that I'm supposed to be on. I can get distracted, just like my uh, my shoulder can get dislocated. It's not located in the right place anymore. It's lost its location. I can get disjointed. It can be out of joint. It loses that. He said the sin that so easily distracts us. Why? Because we're supposed to be running this race. This race of life. We're supposed to be moving forward in this race that's been set before us. He says, we've got all these that have gone before us. So let's not just sit here weighed down by this life, distracted by sin, not going anywhere, not competing. But we want to run. We want to move forward with what? Endurance. Not slowing up when there's difficult things going on, but pressing on and pressing forward in this race that's set before us. And then we get to verse two, which is a continuation of the same sentence. He says, keeping your eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying, you got a bunch of witnesses around you. There's a bunch of folks in the crowd, but don't put your ultimate focus on them. Don't put your ultimate focus on them. Don't focus on those weights of life. Don't stay ensnared in your sin. Right. There were a lot of things going on when Fort McHenry was being attacked. Right. Bombs going off everywhere. A lot of things happening. What was Frank looking at? Is the flag still flying? I'm putting my focus right there because I know as long as this is still in place, everything else is going to be okay. He's saying, put your eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, keep your eyes on Jesus. It means look to or watch intently. Why? Because he is the source. So he's the author and he's the perfecter or he's the completion of our faith. He is the beginning of it and he's the end result of it. He is what, what, what we start with and he's where we end. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
again, don't look to the witnesses above Jesus. There were a lot of men at Fort McHenry. You couldn't look to just one individual service member to know if you were if the fort was still okay. You couldn't. You might. Where's Chuck? Is Chuck okay? If Chuck's okay. We're good. Here we go. Uh-uh. It can't rest on him. Why? Because then what if something happens to Chuck? Right? If, if we lose Chuck, all is lost if it's all on Chuck. Right? The fort would not stand. And see, as a believer, I've got a lot of witnesses around me. Hooray, right? That's awesome. That's good. But we don't want to put something on other people that only Jesus can carry. You know, we don't want to put it all on Chuck and be like, what happened? How's Chuck doing? Chuck, what happened, Chuck? Oh, my gosh, Chuck. All is lost because Chuck couldn't keep it together. Right. Why? We don't want to put that on somebody that only Jesus can carry. Don't put something on me that only Jesus can carry. He won't let you down. I'll let you down. You'll let me down. Right. That's why we put it on him, because he is the source. He is the perfecter of our faith. He's the one we keep our eyes on. There's a crowd and there's a lot going on, but don't lose sight of Jesus. Keep Jesus as the ultimate focus in your life. And see, all those others, all those in the hall of faith that he talks about, Moses and David and Samuel and all the ones that he talks about, they all came before and look, they did mighty things for God, but they were not enough. Jesus still came. They weren't enough. He came. The source and the perfecter of our faith, that alpha and the omega it, that, that phrase there, I did a little bit of looking on it. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. The language there is actually two, two part. It's not just look to Jesus. It's look away from other things and look to Jesus. Take your eyes off of these other things. Look, looking off of this and looking on him, which is what happens anyway. If, I'm, if you're going to give your, so, your focus to something, you're taking your focus away from something else. It's two part. They're looking off and looking on. And then one one phrase that I saw, one quote was the concentration of a wondering gaze in a single direction. Because our attention can kind of drift. Our gaze can drift. You know, the, the old song. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. He's like, I know your gaze is going to tend to wonder and drift. Purpose as the leader of the, in the completion of this assembly of faith. All those who were listed in the hall of faith, he's their savior. He's their standard. It's like, don't elevate them to something that they can't hold up. He's the one that came to be the completion of everything else that you've ever known. He's our savior. He's our standard. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Nisi. It's Jehovah, our banner. You could say our flag, the one that we stand under why, to identify us, to know when they were in battle, they would put up the banner and like this is where we all rally around. 
because they didn't have uniforms. You know, the British, they were coming, they had the red coats. We knew who they were. They stood out. When they're fighting in the Old Testament, there wasn't anything to tell them apart hardly from one another when you were right there in the middle of it. And so they would put up these, th this banner so that they could see, here's my guys, here's where I'm supposed to be, here's where I need to rally to. And he said, Jehovah is our banner. We rally underneath the banner of who he is. He's the beginning of it and he's the completion. So we look to him. He's our inspiration and he's our example. He set out in front of us and he's also put on the inside of us so that we can get to where he's set to. Which goes to what it says about him. It says for the joy that was laid before him or that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And I don't care about what I look like up there because this is important is basically what it means. And then it says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he shows us the way he made the way for us. He is the way. And so we set our eyes on him. And the author of Hebrews is, is saying to us, Christian, there is much to draw your attention there's much going on that can draw your attention. But look off of those things and look on Jesus Amen. above all. Why? Why him? Because of who he is and where he is. Where does it say he is? At the right hand of the throne of God the Father Almighty. Which, what does that mean? Unchanging. It is set. Not going anywhere. You don't have to wait for the sun to come up after the battle to find out, did Jesus make it through the night? Is Jesus still okay? Has anybody checked on Jesus? Have we heard from, is he okay? He's okay. Yeah, <laughs> he's okay. That's right. Because he's at the right hand of the Father Almighty. It's unchanging. He is alive. And if he lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, right? I can run that race with endurance, setting aside the weights and the hindrances, not being distracted by sin, but looking to Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. Whatever we're enduring, whatever we're experiencing, even when it's like the attack on Fort McHenry, like I'm getting bombed all night, boss. It, it, is, it, it is hard out here right now. Even then, even when everything around us is chaotic, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. I was reminded of the, I'm just on songs today. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. Amen. I had a video that Latasha shared. I wanted to get it up here, but I didn't quite get it in in time. Uh, to Andrew, he didn't even know about it. I was like, that's eh, probably not fair to send this to him. Like, let's figure this out. So I'll just tell you about it. It was just a preacher. He, he was preaching and he, he shared, he said, you know that old question that his name was Alistair Begg, which he's awesome because he has an accent. And I love accents. And his is Irish, right? The Irish accent. <sighs> just loved it. I, 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 I'm going to tr have trouble not slipping into my impression of an Irish accent when I share this with you. But he said, you know, the old question, if you were to die tonight, you know, what, what would happen? He said, but if we say, if you were to die tonight 
and, and go to heaven, what would you say? Why would you say that you should get to be there? What's your answer for why I get to come in? And he said, if we start with anything in the first person, well, because I, because I believed or because I had faith or because I did this or because I did that. He's like, we've already messed up. He's like, it can't be in the first person. It can't be because I, it has to be in the third person because he, because he, because Jesus, right? And he told this little, uh, I guess gave this little visual example of the thief on the cross. He's like, think about the thief on the cross. He's like, it was probably real interesting when he walked into heaven that day. When he got there, they were like, well, what, what, why do you get to be here? I don't know. What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know? How can you not know? I don't know. He's like, and all the things that we focus on, it's like, well, were you a member of a church? <laughs> you ever been baptized? No. Well, do you understand, though, the doctrine of the justification by faith alone, right? You've got that figured out. Or the doctrine of Scripture. Surely you've read the Scripture. He's like, no, no. Why are you here? Why do you, why, why do you get to be here? And, and, and his only answer could be what? The man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's why our, our eyes stay on Jesus because he's, he's our only answer. Without him, you know, similar to but much larger than you know, Frank on the ship going, if the flag goes down, all is lost. Without Jesus, uh-uh, all is lost. I can't get there and go, well, I did this, well, I did this. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no. My only answer, my only hope in life and death is to show up and go, He. Because He lived. Jesus is my only claim, my only plea, because He is the author and the perfecter of my faith. He authored it. Without Him, I don't have it. He's my answer, and so that's why I look to Him above everything else. And as we're closing, and I think this may even lead us into next week, I want you to look with me. So I need to go back this way. 2 Timothy. Yeah. Second Timothy chapter 4. It's Paul writing his mentee, right? Timothy, his son in the faith. And he says in verse six, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. He's like, yeah, I ain't gonna be much longer for me. He says in verse seven, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. I love that line. And that's why I wanted to read it. He, he, he said, hey, it's almost over for me. My life is drawing to a close. He said, I've run my race. I, I've fought the good fight. I, I've finished that and I've kept the faith. And he said, because of that, there's a crown of righteousness, right? Standing with God. There's a crown reserved for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me. He was like, you know, and you can read Paul, for the grace of God. He's like, look, there's a crown 
that the righteous judge, he, he's right and he's just and he's still going to give me a crown. And not me only, but, but everybody who has loved his appearing. It, it's reserved for those who have loved his appearing referring directly to the second coming of Christ, those that are looking for the return of Christ. But I believe it stretches out to every area in our life where Jesus shows up. You know, those that loved Jesus showing up in their life, whether it was at an outreach, whether it was when I was in a, a dark night of the soul, when my eyes looked and found him exactly where he said he would be. All those that loved his appearing, every manifestation of Christ in the life of a believer. He said that there, there is hope reserved for all of those that love his appearing. We couldn't ever equal Paul's resume. And like I said, he didn't, he, he considered all of that nothing. He considered he, I'd done anything. I don't boast in anything that I've done. I only boast in the cross of Christ. But we look to Jesus. And we run our, run our race loving every time he shows up in life. Every time he shows out in life. And when we live our life like that, when we're running our race, regardless of what else is going on, when we're facing him, looking to him, setting aside the hindrances, setting aside the sins that would distract us, that, 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 that um, you know, end people up in the breakdown lane of life, when we're moving on through that and pass that forward, then other people get to see him too. Other people see his appearing. They see him at work in your life and it gives them a chance to believe. They see him at work in your life. They see that same Jesus that your focus is on, the author and the finisher of your faith, because he can also be the author and the finisher of their faith. He's where it started and he's where it is brought to completion. I don't even like ends because it doesn't end. I don't like finishes because it, it doesn't finish. It's just brought to perfect and right completion in him. Amen. Christ is our focus. He's where our eyes are set. And Paul said, look, there's a special blessing for all who have loved his appearing. He didn't say all had done this and done this and done this and done this. He said, do you love when Jesus shows up? Do you love looking at Jesus? He said, then there is a crown of righteousness prepared for you just like there is for me. So the next few weeks, I think we're going to talk about just some of the ways that, that, that he has given us for Christ to show up in our life. And good Lord willing, he may change it. We may do something else. He may just really want to go off on this music kick. I don't know. But I'm, I know we won't be doing a whole lot more of history because I don't go too far in that realm. Right. But I thought that was such an interesting connection that that song that we sing, because how many of y'all even knew what that song was about? How many of y'all even knew all the words to it? Yeah, some of us knew all the words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but did you just know, no, there's a meaning behind this. There's something that he felt deep in his heart all through that night that compelled him to write. And it's extended this long, and it's just about a piece of cloth. How much more when our focus is on Jesus? How much more, again, America. God has shed his grace on thee. Greatest country the world has ever seen. How much greater Jesus. 
how much greater Jesus and how much is Jesus the reason America was great to start with. Amen. Keeping our focus on him and setting aside those things that would slow us down or move us off track from looking at him. Because he is the author and the finisher. He's set and in place and he is unchanging. He will be unchanging in your life. You can look to him. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? We'll pray and seal this in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. All those that came before were pointing to him. He's the leader and at the head of that great assembly. And I pray that in our lives, we'll focus on him. That we'll turn our eyes from other things to the one thing that really matters. And I thank you for the strange ability that you give us to focus on Jesus and still be productive in everything else and actually more productive in everything else because our focus is on him. Looking to him does not make us less productive or less helpful, healthy or active in this life, but it makes us so much more. Setting our minds with him like you told us in the book of Colossians because we died and our life is hidden with Christ in you. God, I thank you that we receive even a greater comfort than they receive seeing that flag still flying over Fort McHenry to know that Christ is risen and he is on the throne and he is our hope. Not our last hope, but our greatest hope. There is no hope higher than him and that he's big enough to hold all of us, all who would love his appearing, who love when he manifests in this life, who love seeing his image in the lives of other believers as they're running their race, as they're continuing in the faith. I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you are exactly where you told us you'd be. As we seek you, we'll find you when we give you all of our heart. God, as we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace with one another. God, protect us. We've got some out from us, Lord, traveling. Keep them safe. Bless them in the name of Jesus. As we spend time with friends and family today and uh, even tomorrow, Lord, I thank you that you bless that time and you cause it to be to our good in the name of Jesus. Lord, we've got some that are out from us because they're weak and infirm in their body. Strengthen them in the name of Jesus. Bring healing and health in Jesus' name. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Your strength made perfect in our weakness. Lord, and I thank you that you have joined us together with others that can walk alongside of us when we are feeling and experiencing weakness in life. Our hope isn't in our physical strength. Our hope isn't in our physical body or our ability or our capability. Our hope is in none of those things. Our hope is in Christ alone. Everything else falls away. It doesn't matter. Christ lives and I live in him. Thank you, Father, for that peace and that confidence that we have. We love you and we thank you. And we sing praises to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.